0: Hello and welcome to the AI Spectrum podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Kane. In this series, we talk to experts all across Siemens about a wide range of AI topics and how they're applied to different technologies. Today, I am joined once again by Dr. Justin Hodges, an AI ML technical specialist and product manager for SimCenter to continue our discussion on how he and his team are using AI to advance simulation and design software. Picking up from where we left off last time, Justin, you talked a little bit about the predictive capabilities of AI and simulation and design. Can you tell us more about that?
1: So the multidisciplinary physics is really kind of the key. Let's take like an internal combustion engine as an example. You know, at some stages, you will do cold flow type of analysis to understand how major design decisions influence the, the flow field. And you want to look at your secondary flow structures and sort of like optimize them in a certain way. Then you have this massive design space that's sort of lingering in your mind about, well, what about my drive, my drive map, where I have to consider a broad range of RPMs that are possible and fuel economy and all of these things. It really becomes like a layered problem of different groups that have to work together as you do start to increase the fidelity. Like Then I also include combustion, for example, that will surely change the answer. And then I also have to consider other connected components in the drivetrain other than just the actual combustion engine, right? The the cylinder itself. So what ends up happening is there'll be like low fidelity tools that are used at the beginning of the process to just explore some of these major decisions as far as what the design will be. And then gradually you layer on more fidelity with more expensive simulation. And then this will extend to um, other teams and things like that, which may do the same. So, yeah, again, like a really novel sort of approach that AINML really offers as a lifeline is if I do that on, say, one size engine, you know, I could make models that would allow you to skip steps, so to speak. You know, if I want to run three consecutive design studies on the same thing, but I want to increase the simulation fidelity each time and use a different product each time, you know, would have had a machine learning model that could sort of relate as in this sort of like a transfer function or correlation type way what the output is from the first step to the output of the third step. You know, that would really allow me to be more agile in this process and go faster. And then ultimately encode the sort of knowledge into machine learning models from the different steps in the process. So that when I do it again in the next season of my job, where now I design a similar size engine, maybe bigger, smaller, something, some, some difference, but it still looks the same in some ways, you know, I can take advantage of these, surrogates, if you will, that I've created to sort of populate the space initially and then start refining it. I mean, it's kind of like a smart, intelligent DOE via transfer learning. You know, you get a big head start is how I like to think about it. I see that does sound very helpful and it really
0: kind of ties back with some of the other things we've been talking about and how you can really use AI to not quite skip steps, but to smooth things over and to speed things up that would normally take a long
1: time. Data is an asset. So, this is one way to leverage that data and make use of it beyond the time where you just generate it when you're designing that particular component. If you have all of these designs in your history, in databases, in the company, and this data lying around, I mean, that's where SimCenter has a lot of really nice things to offer, not only in terms of TeamCenter and design space exploration and, and smart ways to sift through the results you have and suggest good ones for future features ML will provide, but just generally having these surrogates that can make use of this information.
0: So I think you gave us a couple of examples of how AI is helping with predictive capabilities. Do you have any other sort of examples or synergies even that might benefit from ML in this area?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we talked about some, but we've kind of neglected the test space. And I think that's a very fruitful space that can benefit from AI and ML. For example, anomaly detection is a popular one and popular one that's out there. You know, maybe I'm acquiring test data for a facility or maybe the turbine on an airplane. You know, these are very, very complicated systems with thousands of parts. And it can be really hard to understand why some global metric like the temperature, the pressure is, is changing in a system. I mean, it can be influenced by So many constituent components that it's it's very hard to identify where it's coming from. So, uh, yeah, machine learning models can play a nice role there for the operators where they can alert if anomalies are about to happen. And then you have that sort of warning ahead of time and you can prepare accordingly, maybe ramp down or ramp up faster through, you know, resonance region or, you know, whatever the specific application is that you're in. It can alert you of these anomalies, which would otherwise be too complex for. A human eye or ear to discern you know another one is this interpretability and things like that. you know if I'm looking at this analog looking type signal from a variety of test sensors, sometimes it's a hard to know again with an anomaly scenario, if my hardware is breaking or if you know I need to fix something actually before I deploy or before I go test, I mean, these are very time consuming and expensive exercises with very limited times I mean, like for example, wind tunnels and automotive testing are. Those are really valuable time slots that people pay a lot of money to have, and it'd be a shame to show up and have sensor continue to break or take faulty data and drift, and maybe you don't realize it till you get back. So there's a lot of ways that it can it can work on historical signal-type information and really be valuable there as well.
0: Okay, it sounds like in terms of predictive capabilities and simulation design, AI has a lot to offer, along with its benefits in other areas as well, but... It sounds to me as well like AI is really kind of a, a constantly changing and evolving field. It's, it's kind of a moving target to keep up with all of the requirements that you would find in a given project or given process. Can you tell us about how Siemens is positioning themselves to address this sort of constant need for innovation, change, and stay on top of like emergent technology, so to speak?
1: That's a really good question. I saw a funny thing yesterday, actually, that I read that said something to the effect of when you talk about moonshots in a corporate environment, big companies say they need a small company like culture to tackle it. And small companies will say they need a big resource in order to go after it. So it's always it's always challenging despite the company that you're in. But I think that our company structure is really well supported for it. You know, we have this long term work and bank of patents and competence that we have in AI and ML outside of just, you know, our Niche engineering simulation world, but it really enables cross department and cross business unit collaborations. You know, we have technology groups that truly understand in depth the technology and have been creating it and using it. And so, when it makes sense, we can partner with those groups. We have a very long reaching arm to partner with academia groups as well when they try to make you know substantial changes in innovation in terms of how things can be done fundamentally. Same for partners, right? We have a ton of partners that can tell us from industry, hey, this is the problem today I want to solve, and this is the problem that people will value so much that they will pay for it, right? So we have both sides of the spectrum in terms of influence. And then internally, in terms of our core SimCenter team, we have the right agile and sort of collaborative mindset to work together from product management to product developments to uh, the forward-looking emerging technology sort of groups for strategy and innovation. And then as well, we have just incredible engineers all over the place in terms of customer-facing and business strategy and that sort of thing. So it allows us to take advantage of some of the things that are easier for small companies, while also the advantages and things that are well-posted for large companies. But you're, you're right that it's continuously evolving and needs continuous adaptation. So. We certainly do our best, and it's really great to work in this environment because it's a really nice concert that we work in between all the different groups.
0: That's wonderful to hear. It sounds, then, that Siemens has kind of positioned themselves rather uniquely in the field of AI with this. Can you tell us a little bit more about how
1: Siemens is unique
0: to it compared to our competitors or distinct,
1: I might say? That's a fun one to answer for sure. We've mentioned a lot of stuff about data and making use of it and keeping track of it. and allowing companies to really benefit from it in an efficient way, despite teams working in different disciplines, probably different countries, right, which is really popular today. I would say it's it's like a scope thing. You know, we have the products at the very end point. My CFD software needs to do blank, right? We have that ability to offer that product, not just in simulation, but also in test. But then even from the total opposite side of the granular to the large scale, Right. If I want to do optimization, if I want to do design space exploration, if I want to use TeamCenter to tie all the data together and TC Sim to make suggestions and sort of what parts of the space are fruitful to look at. So I would say a big piece of it is in terms of how we establish ourselves is the comprehensive offering. And that would be, you know, also a big piece implied from what I already said, which is the digital twin is combination of physical data and simulation data as well. So it's a vast space, and I would say that's one of the benefits for sure.
0: One of the big topics I think we've talked about a lot so far is that in a lot of these cases, you're relying on AI to make the right decision, to come up with the right answer, to categorize a part correctly. How are you addressing the the need to kind of build trust in this effectively black box that is AI simulation in your uh, testing software?
1: Yep, that's a critical one not just in terms of the technical solution, but it's also very important that it's made clear to the non-AI expert. So it's definitely a multifaceted problem. But there are certainly solutions there that are popularly employed, kind of industry agnostic, whether it be uh, blind validation exercises where you, know, you segregate the data ahead of time before you do anything. And some of the data is used for training, some of it's used for testing, but then some of it's held completely aside and then just looked at after the full pipeline's done and done for validation. You know, So that's one important way to do things. But even decisions like that, it comes down to data analysis. Uh, you know, I need a tool that can recommend to me the best way to separate my data, the best way to know where I can apply my model and where I can't apply that model. We have a lot of that excellent state-of-the-art post-processing and commercial leading in terms of Providing that insight on the data so we understand it. This is really from a variety of tools, right? Not just, not just one specific tool, but again, back to that comprehensive nature of our portfolio that kind of allows you to do this despite whatever, whatever product you're looking for. And then furthermore, offering some level of transparency. So whatever models are there, which ones to choose, letting the user see that uh, without an opaque sort of wall, they can pick which ones they think are right for their problem. I guess lastly, one thing that's fun about engineering simulation and physics and applying AI to, to that specifically is you can kind of make physics aware or physics informed type uh, features or data sets or machine learning models. And that's where it gets really fun because you can interpret what models will do in certain domains of the physics. And it's fun. There's nothing wrong with the black box type uh, neural networks and things like that as solutions. But it's also fun to look at the gray boxes that can have some tie back to all the stuff we spent so many years in school learning regarding physics and, and uh, engineering. Yeah, absolutely. I have to say,
0: I feel the same way as uh, someone who's been trained in math and engineering myself. It's nice to, when if you kind of crack open the box a little and you can see in there and all those familiar equations and
1: principles and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. Because the reality is, sometimes there are limitations. Plenty often, there are limitations. So, you know, part of it is just being pretty clear to the user in communication, expert or not, on what they are and that they exist. And AI is not the answer to everything in what we do. So, plenty of times, the traditional way of solving our physics iteratively is is way better than, you know, applying a machine learning approach. So, there's also some bit there in terms of communicating that to the user for the right problem. But therein lies the fun. Absolutely. Well,
0: is there anything else that you interesting that you'd like to share with us, either from Siemens or outside the company even?
1: Well, there's so much going on in the landscape of AI in our world. It's, it's But I would say one thing that's really exciting is our partnership with NVIDIA, who's producing game-changing technology in a lot of different industries. You can kind of see the ripple effect. I think now... A lot of other names people will recognize with Microsoft and Meta as of recent and Google, they are focusing on this branch of partial differential equations. And that's really what relates to our realm, right? With the physics that we're trying to solve iteratively by solving these PDEs. So you can kind of just look at some of these headlines and tabloids and things like that as far as what's happening non-technically, you know, and just see that it does have a relationship to what we're doing. And it will propagate to us. Like I think in NVIDIA's recent GTC, they announced, you know, they showcased some stuff regarding their digital twin of the Earth. I mean, that's just like the coolest thing ever, even if you're not an engineer, right, to fight climate change. I mean, that's what a time to be alive and see that sort of stuff. So, you know, we can see that is not all the different than LES, right? I mean, LES came into play with forecasting and weather and large scales and stuff like that. And so you see really kind of the marrying and overlap of these different technologies and it's personally very exciting
0: well that sounds really interesting and i think that would be a good place to end our talk here today justin i'd like to thank you for joining me here
1: yeah it's been a pleasure we could talk more and more and more on this because there's so much going on but hopefully this very small select sort of snippet of stuff that we ended up covering is uh you know useful to a bunch of listeners absolutely absolutely
0: once again I have been your host Spencer Kane and thank you for listening to the AI Spectrum podcast.